Surrounded by the pines that closed in his yard, the swordsman crouched motionless. His gray kimono and black skirt-like hakama grew damp in the pre-dawn mist, but his attention was focused on the drops of water that collected first on a branch above his head, then dripped to the ground with noiseless regularity. He seemed to be waiting for a particular drop, his expression reflecting a profound patience. The bead of water finally fell, and with perfect celerity, his right hand tore the samurai's sword from its scabbard at his side. Still kneeling, he slashed a wide arc in the heavy, wet air, stopping the weapon as abruptly as if it had struck some invisible barrier. Then slowly, methodically, he pulled a cloth from a fold in his kimono and wiped moisture from the blade's surface, for he had cut through the descending drop, shattering it into smaller droplets that sparkled on the steel like diamonds in the morning's new light. While the swordsman continued the solitary exercises with his weapon, I wriggled farther under the hand-quilted covers my great-grandmother had patched together, burrowing to find a few more minutes of sleep. Get your motor running, head out on the highway looking for adventure, and whatever comes our way, born to be wild. The music swelling from the alarm clock radio by my head promised a heady freedom in that early autumn of 1968, but the blasting noise was also a reminder that I had to get up and get ready for another day of junior high school. Nothing in the morning indicated that the day would be different, On the long bus ride ahead, I would have to fabricate a believable excuse for not finishing a math assignment, already two days overdue. I would have to sit through eight hours of uninspired attempts at educating myself, hurry home afterward to stuff the bulky jacket and pants of a judo uniform into a bag, and then be off to practice at the state university gym. For a thirteen-year-old boy of the Midwest, it wasn't a day or a life, for that matter, too much out of the ordinary at all. In those days, judo was an unlikely sport for a Missouri boy, but my adolescent passion might just as easily have been loosed upon cars, or stamp collecting, or girls. As it happened, I had always had interests both in things Japanese and in the avoidance of getting beaten up, so three evenings of my weeks were taken with the art of judo, learning how to fall and how to make my classmates at the gym fall. In fact, what had been the only disruption in my life that year was becoming so much a routine that I hardly considered it outstanding anymore. Walking to judo practice, I would take a detour down a street near the university where many of the professors lived. It was a street of monstrous old houses with towering ceilings and three or even four stories, a street where sounds much louder than the strains of Bach or Vivaldi were hushed by oaks and pines and maples, as impressive in size as were the houses beside them. I walked along the quiet street until I came to a house nearly hidden by trees, with a front yard full of iris and lily beds that probably never saw the sun until all the trees around them were bare of leaves. This, 
was the house where a Japanese guy lived, as my judo friends had heard it, who was supposed to be an expert in sword fighting. While we were all intrigued by the idea of a modern-day samurai living in the middle of the Ozarks, I was the only one persistent and impudent enough to find out more.